Oh, hi, podcast listeners. There's many ways you can listen to The Real Nerds Podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes. You can also subscribe on Stitcher Radio. You want to send us a Twitter message? You can do that. It's so easy, at Real Nerds. Like us on Facebook, Real Nerds Podcast. You can visit our website, realnerdspodcast.com, where there will be a lot of articles for you to not only read, but to listen to our previous shows. Do you like your stories told through pictures? Then you can also follow us at Real Nerds on Instagram. You can also call us, 720-6Nerds5. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. Hi, this is Georges Genty, and you are listening to Real Nerds Podcast. Welcome to Rillers Podcast, unofficially the official podcast of Denver Pop Culture Con. I am Brad, and with me is Aaron, Zach. Hey, welcome back, Aaron. Hey, thanks for having me again. Yeah, uh, this week we saw El Camino at mm. home and in the theater. That's not the full title. It's El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie. Shut up, nerd. <laughs> uh, stay tuned to the end of the episode where we will review that movie of the week. Mm-hmm. Um, play that bef- trailer. Play that. And we'll play the trailer. Um, did that have it, a trailer? I didn't realize it had a trailer. It did. Yeah. Netflix trailer. Yeah, it had Yeah, Netflix trailer. And it had like a teaser with uh, Skinny. So Yeah. Netflix does trailers. Yeah. Uh, but before that, we will talk about what we've been watching, movie news, uh, what's going on around town, and Blu-ray DVD releases, and catching the classics with Corinne. Nice. What did she watch this week? Hey, nerds. Corinne here for part 29 of Catching the Classics where I watch famous and popular movies I've never seen before and send in my review. This week, you all overwhelmingly voted for me to watch Gremlins. Yeah, I was the only one who voted for Hoosiers. I mean, to be fair, you have to vote in the poll to see the results of the poll while it's still running. And I'm a big basketball fan, so I figured I should vote for Hoosiers. And yeah, I was like the only one who did. So, Gremlins it is. Um... Yeah, it was um, surprisingly fun. It was just like this kind of like weirdly bizarre, like cute movie. I don't know how I feel about it, to be honest. Like I had fun with it, but then parts of it I was like, oh my gosh, this is so fucking dark. What the hell? It's kind of like when I watched, um, not Dark Crystal, what's the one with David Bowie? Labyrinth. When I watched Labyrinth for the first time, I was over at a friend's house in high school, and she's like, oh my gosh, we gotta watch Labyrinth, you guys. Like, this was one of my favorite movies growing up, and as we're watching it, I'm like, this explains a lot about you, to be honest. Like, really? This was one of your favorite movies? Okay, whatever. I'd say this is better than Labyrinth, though. Um, okay, so yeah, going into it. Um, I knew kind of the basic premlins, premise of the gremlins, um, that you can't feed them after midnight, and that if you do, they turn into, like, these little shitty D-bags, uh, <laughs> um, and that they terrorize whoever is, you know, possessing them, whoever is in possession of them. I didn't realize it was, like, the entire town. I thought it was just going to be, like, more of the family, but... Yeah, so, and obviously I've seen, like, the 
character designs for the gremlins and gizmo and gizmo is so cute like i was kind of surprised he didn't end up being a shitty gremlin himself like i i guess i don't understand why was gizmo like so good compared to the other gremlins like his progeny basically um Basically, you know, they all straight up wanted to become gremlins, so they, you know, trick Billy into feeding them after midnight, and they turn into gremlins. But Gizmo specifically didn't want to be fed, so it's like, why is it that he's cool with being a mogwai, but the other ones are like, yes, we want to turn into gremlins! Um, also, Billy was, like, totally unfazed by the fact that, one, this is an animal or creature that he's never seen before, never heard of before. I mean, you never knew, like, a mogwai existed, and all of a sudden you get one as a pet. And not only that, but it talks. Like, it it clearly says words, and nobody really cares other than at the very end when the Asian guy comes back to take Gizmo away, which, honestly, I was like, oh, no, let him stay with Billy. But, yeah, that was, like, a really weird, like, shoehorned um, moral of the story. It was like, you can't take care of them, therefore you can't have it. And it's like, well, I mean, I'm not disagreeing with you, but it's just weird how you're... I don't know. That whole thing was, like, bizarre. He's, you know, he's saying, like, you can't take care of this mogwai. Just, like, this race of humans can't take care of the planet or something. It's like, okay... Whatever, weirdo. Also, thankfully, snow doesn't count as um, water, even though it is water. But oh boy, that would have that would have gotten really bad really fast. Yeah, but yeah, it was fun. Um, the puppetry or whatever th they used to make the Mogwai and the Gremlins move is really good. It's really convincing. Um, I wonder though if the whole they can't be in direct light thing is um, kind of a way to mask that a little bit. Like, you know, maybe it doesn't look very good. It doesn't look very convincing if it's in direct light. So that's why everything has to be kind of dim when you see them. But that's just a theory. I don't know for sure. But no, it was good. Um, yeah, those gremlins are like, holy shit. They kill the one lady. They probably kill that couple with the truck. They attack the one dude who's playing Santa. This is like a really weirdly dark movie, and most of it is played for laughs. This is really messed up, you guys. Although that was the theater scene was <laughs> pretty funny when they're watching Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. So overall, yeah, I I had fun with it. I would watch it again. Um. Maybe not for a while, but I would watch it again. Uh, yeah. So, I'd give it three and a half stars. There wasn't anything about it that I hated, but it was just kind of like, eh, it's, a, it's pretty good. Didn't love it, but I didn't hate it. So, yeah, three and a half stars. Or round it down to three, I guess, if we're doing the full star system. Because I don't feel like it's out of four. But I don't feel like it's at a three either. But if we have to do the three or the full star system, I would give it three stars. So there you go. And for our next movie, I'm going to be 
reviewing either Cat on a Hot Tin Roof or Hoosiers, depending on which one I get through first before they both fall off of Netflix. So, I will talk to you all soon, and I hope you had fun at your movie this week. Bye! Is she allowed to put Hoosiers twice in a, twice in a row? I guess it's it's her game, so she can do whatever she wants with it. Yeah, she's got to catch them all, um, catch all those classics. God so damn it, Brad! Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know the correct answer is that Gremlins is a Joe Dante masterpiece because Joe Dante makes masterpieces is what he does. The rating might be correct though because Gremlins Two is the better one because it's the one that goes full blown bananas. Um, it just it just it adheres to no rules whatsoever and it's amazing. Um, but I like Gremlins; it's an awesome flick. Yeah, it's cute. Yeah, it's a great one. Yeah, I've uh, rewatched it not too long ago and I was like, yeah, I forgot how great this movie is. Oh, I love I love when it's playing that Bing Crosby song. Do you hear what I hear? <laughs> great sequence. But yeah, cool. Thank you, Corinne. Yeah, thanks, Corinne. Um, yeah, so, Aaron, what have you been up to? So, uh, yeah, this is the stuff we've been watching. Oh, gosh. Uh, Movie-wise, let's see. I watched In the Tall Grass, the uh, Stephen King, Joe Hill Netflix flick. Very nice. Uh, pretty good. Kind of relatively scary i was i was funny because i put it on thinking it was like a bad indie netflix movie not realizing there was actually like some weight behind Mm. like the story so then i was surprisingly entertained by it and then at the end it's the guy who did cube oh uh, really and splice oh well that's (laughs) interesting yeah but it falls within his line of just setting it in one place so (laughs) right um i saw ad astra on friday Right, no. What'd you think? Or Thursday, Thursday night. Yeah. Uh, I really liked it. I liked it a lot. Oof. Like strangely, I, I didn't know what to expect, and it was not what I expected. And then I was pleasantly surprised by it. Very nice. So, um, weirdly, uh, did not like Gravity, um, <laughs> and I know this was you know to me kind of like felt like Gravity meets Inception, hmm. or not Inception. Sorry, um, Interstellar. Okay, the other I one that Christopher Nolan did, <laughs> um, and. My issue with Gravity was it just felt like silly a lot of the time mm-hmm. and just like not like a serious movie. And then it was up for all these Oscars and I was like, why? I don't get it. Well, and, I guess it's more for the experience or anything like that. Like, I, yeah, I think that was it with, with that movie. And so Ad Astro was really interesting because it, it had the absurdity that Gravity had. But I didn't care because that wasn't the story. The story was the human story of him dealing with his father his father and and all of that um so that to me was like i didn't care about that stuff so much because that wasn't what was important whereas you know in gravity that's the whole story she's just trying to survive and get back to earth very nice so yeah that was a good one um what else did i watch i don't know i'm sure there's something else in there but those are the two ones i can remember right on well if you think of anything we can come back to it in the what we've been watching segment so um Oh, did I jump the gun on that? <laughs> no, it, no, it's all good. Yeah, no, I think it was... Beautiful. No, this is the what we've been watching segment now. So, Zach, what have you been watching? <laughs> oh, um, well, I was gone last week. Um, oh, great. Because I was uh, busy working on some stuff. But don't worry, I didn't get around to watching much. Uh, sorry, 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 sorry. <laughs> we could be on me already. Yeah. Um, so, um, I saw Joker. Uh, I've had 10 days to think about it, so I've had... Take your time. (laughs) Take your time. (laughs) Um, 
And um, I I kind of don't have a full answer in my head as to what to make of the film. Um, if I'm going to just give you a straight up like rating, it's a four star rating. However, it's because of a lot of different factors and not all the ones that I think Todd Phillips wants me to apply to that. Um, uh, I think it's a really good horror movie. Uh, I think it covers a lot of ground that Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer does to decent effect while intertwining a Joker origin story. Um, I think it handles the Batman mythos in an interesting way. Um, what I what I appreciated about the Batman element of it all is that it's not uh, particularly beholden to the strict mythos and that they are allowed to kind of do whatever they want with it um, and play along with Joker's, you know, it, 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 um, unreliability as, in terms of being a narrator. Um, and, I mean, as far as the content of the film, I mean, like... I appreciate that people are having discussions about it. My my overall thought is, as of now, that it doesn't have the depth that I think it wants to have or thinks it has. Uh, but uh, good try. I mean, like, I mean, it it's certainly much more uh, interesting to discuss and dissect than most blockbusters that come out. Um, period. Let alone a comic book movie. Like, I love Avengers movies, but like. Joker is attempting to do something. Whether it pulls it off or not, I don't know. Um, I don't... I mean, I'm still kind of mulling over some like issues I had with the script and the dialogue, but one thing is undoubtedly certain, Joaquin Phoenix is amazing in the film. Like, It's an undoubted transformation, and um, <clears throat> his, uh, his portrayal is terrifying and cringy, and he's, he plays a villain like the Joker very well. Um but yeah, I mean, I need to watch it again because one viewing and 10 days after that viewing is not enough to like fully judge it. I, I would feel I think I would need to see it again. Um, but it's also a very grim and dark movie. And after I saw it, I was like, I, I, I want to watch some some happy stuff, <laughs> you know, just kind of cleanse myself a little bit out of it. Um, so within that, I watched some horror movies that you know, have a little bit more of a, if not optimism, then at least some fun intertwined into them. Um, I rewatched Gerald's game, which is not necessarily a, it doesn't have really a happy tone, although it does have a, a satisfying conclusion. Um, but I hadn't seen it since it came out and, uh, that movie's amazing. Carla Gugino was robbed of an Oscar. Um, and I love Bruce Greenwood in it. Like it's, I think it's pretty amazing how they were able to take a book like Gerald's game and, uh, hearing about what the concept is and then just making it into a film that works. Um, Mike Flanagan's pretty freaking solid with that. So, um, but yeah, I hadn't watched it since it came out and rewatching it. I was like, man, this, this is a film that Netflix could have easily pushed in the awards circuit. Um, I rewatched the Raven with Bella Lugosi and Boris Karloff. Um, I hadn't watched it in a long, long time. Uh, but Scream Factory has the f uh, 4K restorations of it on their first volume of their Universal Horrors uh, Vault series. Um, this one in particular, um, it's not as great as The Black Cat, but it's good for other reasons. Uh, the basic story is that Bela Lugosi plays a world-famous surgeon who's also very addicted to Edgar Allan Poe stories. And he goes so far to actually create torture devices and leave him in a dungeon in his basement um he falls in love with a girl that he's helping uh that he performs surgery on 
Um, her father doesn't want Bella Lugosi to uh, be in love with the daughter because she's engaged to a nicer young fellow. And so Bella Lugosi gets angry and um, he's trying to plan revenge. Boris Karloff's character enters as a gangster who's trying to hide his appearance and change his appearance because he doesn't want to be found out by the cops because he just escaped from prison. And so Boris Karloff intentionally disfigures him to dangle a carrot over his head of like, I'll fix your face and make you look handsome if you help me kill the father of this gal I'm in love with. Um, and then the climax kind of hits with all these Poe devices, like walls closing in on each other. Somebody is strapped to a to a, a table where the pendulum is going to swing and slice them in five minutes. So it's like a slow torture for them. Um, and it's, it's fun. The 4K transfer, it's the first time that you ever really truly notice uh, the lines in the makeup appliance for uh, Boris Karloff in it. Um, but you could always tell that it was clearly makeup because the eye is clearly painted on. Uh, but this is the first time I was able to see the lines. But it didn't ruin the uh, the enjoyment of the film for me by any means. Um, and uh, and it's Boris Karloff and Bela Lugosi doing shit. I mean, who doesn't fucking love that <laughs> that at all? Um, I rewatched Friday the 13th Part 7, The New Blood, uh, John Carl Beekler's masterpiece. Um the uh yeah it's not my favorite in the friday series whatsoever however i appreciate what beekler was clearly going for um i think a lot of my appreciation for the film has to do with the behind the scenes of it and knowing what he was going for in terms of upping the ante of the violence and whatnot and how the mpaa kind of fucked him over on it um but also this is the introduction of kane hodder to the series so i can't truly complain about uh you know how we uh, view the film because we we get the start of this great performance uh i mean in terms of the story having jason fight a psychic is kind of weak and dumb uh but you know hey i mean it gives you a chance to see the guy who played the dead body in weekend at bernie's do some actual acting so you know he's not just sitting there as a corpse um and then uh i rewatched jackie brown um uh best movie of all time i don't know if you guys have ever heard this out of my mouth before um, but rewatching it, um, I had not watched it on 4k before uh, my 4k TV before, and it looks awesome on the Blu-ray that Lionsgate put out. Like it's, it's, it retains the quality of the film that they shot that Guillermo Navarro and Tarantino shot it on, but it just, it, everything just looks like it's presentable. Like they, they must've touched that one up, which I was curious about with the Tarantino ones that Lionsgate owns. Cause I didn't know if they'd actually remastered them at all or if they just took the transfers from the original DVD releases and put them over. But thankfully, uh, everything's intact, um, and it's still the greatest movie ever uh, put on this earth. So, um, And then uh, the last thing that I watched was some Riff Tracks uh, stuff that I own. I was watching the Sketchfest uh, movies that they did, and uh, uh, there's a fun one with John Hodgman, uh, and uh, there's a, there's a, a, a one of the best ones is they do a uh, a short about setting up a room for a kindergarten class and then they break and say, we'll be back with part two. And then they finish it at the end uh, by getting everybody that they've had as a guest on stage to do a, a giant riff-a-thon on the second half of setting up a room. 
and they do a previously on setting up a room and then they turn it into a conspiracy web um, where it's like showing all these characters trying to put stuff in the room or place shelves in a certain place so that the classroom looks nice. And at one point, the yarn points to um, uh, a picture of uh, Barack Obama and it says POTUS setup. And then it moves over to another one, like conspiracy question marks. So, like they just they had some fun with the whole like the, the setting up a room nonsense. So, um, but yeah, that's all I watched this week. Nice. Brad, cool. what did you watch this week? Uh, a couple things. I got weird with that. Um, the Deadwood movie came out on Blu-ray, so I watched that. Ooh, it's me and McShane in your life. You can't go wrong there. Um, yeah, it's uh, it, it's a, uh, it's fine. It's uh, it leans heavily on hey, we're all back and we're together, except for Powers Booth. Um, so was it a good wrap up? Yeah, as as far as like, because uh, obviously it didn't get um. It got canceled before it had a chance to wrap up the storylines. Right. So it's a good wrap-up episode. Mm. Um, but the, the plot is really thin. Um, you know, it's like 20% a storyline um, and then 80%, hey, here's all these characters and what they're doing now. So it was very much like, well, we've got a chance to finish this up technically, so let's do it. Yeah. Okay. Um, and on the special features, there's a making of documentary that talks about... Um, uh, the guy who wrote it. What's his name? I don't remember. I have not watched Deadwood in a while. It's like Mitch something. Anyway. Mitchell. Um, <laughs> Joe Don Baker. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, the writers, it's a, he, he, he's, as, as far as a writer, uh, he's exploring themes of just like the passage of time. Mm-hmm. And this movie is set 10 years in the future of Deadwood when, uh, um, you know, telephone poles are being installed in, uh, Deadwood's part of South Dakota, or South Dakota's part of the United States now. Oh, okay. Um, so, yeah. Just, so no more lawlessness? Uh, less, less, less lawlessness. lawlessness. Uh, <laughs> Once upon a time in the West, loveless. <laughs> uh, so George Hurst um, comes back, and he's, he's a senator now. Ah. So now a, a major villain is in charge of South Dakota. Ooh. And he wants to uh, buy up everyone's land in Deadwood so that he can create a path to put the telephone poles in that he has a stake in. <laughs> and some people don't want to give up their land. So it's pretty obvious who... I mean, they try to make it look like who done it, But at the end of the day, it's pretty obvious that he's the guy who's causing the trouble. I, I know this is sincere for Deadwood, but at the same time, when you were telling me like he wants to buy up the land so he could put the railroad through there, I'm just like, we've got to find a new sheriff of Rockridge. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Cleavon Little, come on in. <laughs> so yeah, but that, it's it's a good walk down memory lane. Nice, right? Because on. they they sprinkle in some flashbacks, uh, and uh, as far as Ian McShane goes, um, he's ill, so you spend most of the movie just watching him be sick. Oh, um, so. But he, I'm sure he looks badass while he's sick too, right? I mean, yeah, he's still an awesome character. Um, nicer, I guess, mm. than, than he was in the past. Okay. Um, but you know, he he doesn't get a lot of chances to be, I guess, uh, as charismatic because you know he's kind of sidelined. Yeah, but you're making me want to watch rewatch Deadwood now. Yeah. Confessional Which, moment: I've never seen Deadwood. So oh, man. I need to. Don't worry, none that. of what we've been talking about makes I, sense to you. I'm not too worried about it. I, I'm sure I'll. You know, at this point, if it's ruined, it's ruined. I, I'm the one who missed the boat. But you, you know, I appreciate that they gave Deadwood a chance to end that way. 
I wish they could do that for Carnival. Uh, they're not going to do that because a lot of cast members from Carnival have been dropping dead. So, <laughs> And we can't find Nick Stahl anywhere, to my knowledge. So, um, But Clancy Brown's still around. We could just give him a movie of his own. Um, but yeah, no, cool, right on. Glad. Yeah, and there's, there's more. There's more gunfights in it than the show, I think, too. Nice. Um, to have a western show. Western shows are fun. I miss Justified. Um, sorry, I'm looking something up real quick. While you're looking, I'll mention David Milch. Ah, that's the writer. <laughs> sorry, no, that's fine. <laughs> I was just gonna say I realized the other thing I'd watch since I'm on here so infrequently. There's a lot of movies in between, uh-huh. so I only ever think of like, oh, what did I just watch within the last few days? Yeah. <laughs> um, we also saw it, Chapter Two, finally. Oh, what do you think? You know, it's not as good as Chapter One, obviously. Yeah. Um, but first on that one, but yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I mean, I. I I like chapter two a lot, but like there is an element for it missing for me that the first one had. Yeah. And I think like the, the issue I had with the second one is it felt longer than it needed to be like for how, for being almost three hours, Mm -hmm. I I just kind of struck me like, this is all you did was collected a few things and then went in the hole. Like, why did this (laughs) take so long? Mm -hmm. Um, but that aside, and, and admittedly, the chapter two is, I think, a lot scarier than the first one in a few places. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, the climax kind of gets a little crazy and not as scary as um, some of the other elements in it. Right. Uh, but I didn't not like it. I just felt like this, the first one was better I for th- me. You know, I, I mean, when I, when I got out of it, I was feeling a little, like, not underwhelmed, but I was just like, oh, okay, it's, it's done. The mission was accomplished. Yeah, we like, did it. <laughs> like, if there was nothing, like, p- too profound for me, like, other than some small key scenes of imagery, like, you know, the Stanley head uh, with spider legs is uh, still unnerving to me. Oh, yeah. that's. I was like, you got to do Lovecraftian bullshit in a Warner Brothers big studio budget movie? Neat. I like that. <laughs> um, but right on, yeah. Um, I actually have two that I forgot real quick. I saw the Between the Two Ferns movie. Oh, I watched that too. Oh, let's talk about it. This movie. I'll leave. This this movie is way better than it had any right to be. <laughs> um, if if anybody doesn't know what between two, actually you and you and Ryan talked about it like two weeks ago, uh, but it's basically a Wayne's World esque version of the between the two ferns phenomenon on the internet. Um, I I love everything about uh how they were able to adapt that concept and just turn it into a dark comedy and i didn't realize scott ackerman was directing and co-writing it and it it makes a lot of sense why the movie structured the way it is when i see the name scott ackerman attached to it yeah Um, i really uh, i think the best like it really shined in the celebrity interview portions that mm. mirror what the original you know show is about um the rest of it was kind of like pretty by the books road comedy type thing uh but i did enjoy all the celebrity cameos and how great the interviews and stuff were with everyone and when and when ryan was in was reviewing it two weeks ago i was trying to kind of decipher what he was talking about with some stuff but i understand now will ferrell that's one of my favorite will ferrell performances is in this movie playing the head of funny or die as like as if though it's a major corporation that actually matters (laughs) um and uh the uh, the, the one of my favorite gags. It has nothing to do with the celebrity interviews. It's where he gets all the shows, and Will Ferrell's telling him to put the bag down and to kick it to him, right. and he's going like, "That's the best you could kick, kick harder." <laughs> um. Oh, and uh, Peter Dinklage 
chasing them outside of the uh, after they've stolen uh, his Fabergé eggs. Yes, he's like, like <laughs> I've still got like how many other millions? You'll be fine, Peter. You'll be fine. <laughs> it's a little personal pep talk after. Yeah. Okay. And the Benedict Cumberbatch one was fun. But yeah, it's a fun movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really fun. And uh, the gag reel at the end was pretty fun, too. But I just thought it was interesting how they were able to pull off, from my mind, the same amount of pleasure that Wayne's World does, that first Wayne's World does, where you build on the world logically and you don't really try to overextend yourself. Like this movie knows exactly what it is and it doesn't try to go anywhere beyond it. Yes, exactly. Um, And I like a lot of the jokes about the documentary crew (laughs) that like where they're recording at the most ridiculous moments where no, no normal person would still be recording and they kind of like pointed out and set it up early when he's like, don't ever stop recording. Even if I tell you to not record, keep recording. Oh, that reveal at the end, by the way, of what it's, uh, what the film's actually for as a student film. <laughs> Get out. So good. Um, but yeah. And then the last thing that I watched, which I guess would lead into Brad was, uh, went to the psycho serial party, uh, at the Alamo draft house. And, uh, yeah, it's psycho. It's pretty friggin' amazing. So Brad, <laughs> Now, now that we've hijacked your your uh, what you've been watching, yeah, <laughs> uh, Psycho, yeah, uh, it's of its time. That's it. Um, That's all you have to say. Yeah, these are. This is the second of two movies that are on my top ten of all time that you have been ambivalent about. Zach um, literally spoke for three hours with someone about it on the Shamley I, Silhouette. I know. <laughs> Listen to the Shamley Silhouette where Marshall Rosales and I talk about Psycho for three hours. I did. Yeah. <laughs> So um, then maybe I that's why I didn't it's retain any of that information. Right on. Um, uh, well, yeah, no, of course it is of its time. Like, it's, yeah, no, there's, there's just long stretches of just like, wow, we're really gonna like <laughs> spend time watching him do this. Mm. Like, if it was a movie today, it'd be like too much detail. Okay. Um, too artsy, if that's the case. No, not too artsy. Just uh, you know, like we haven't fully learned how to edit yet. <laughs> <laughs> or like, here's an idea that. We need to re- it needs to reach a runtime. Yeah. So let's pad this out. Mm. Um, I have feelings about that with the movie we're reviewing today. Oh, mm. um, um, I mean, and, there. Uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, you talked about three hours about it. Yeah. Stop it. <laughs> um, but I was impressed. It felt like it was shot almost like a modern movie. Like if it had been color, like there's a lot of close-ups and a lot of depth of field. Uh, a lot of movies from that time are usually just a lot of wide shots. Yeah. So um, I appreciated that. Um, and then also, like, through pop culture, I already knew what the reveal was. Yeah. So there wasn't, it wasn't that shocking. No. Um, and I think it would have been more effective if he, they actually, like, synced his mouth to. Uh, oh, in the, in the final. Although I guess every, I guess there's a case to be made that whenever you're hearing her voice, his mom's voice on screen, it's just in his head. Yeah. Cause so. it, as it should be. I mean, you, we never see him moving his lips when he talks to mother because, well, one, it would technically give it away, but two, you, you know, it, it does kind of work best when it's stuck inside him. Uh, and it kind of plays around with your perception of everything. Like I, I, uh, yeah, the, the, I mean, the editing for me on that film is incredible mainly because like it is, it is moving at a more modern pace than a film of that era. Like we, you watched North by Northwest not too long ago. That's like a year before. And so he's kind of changing it up already like a year later. Um, and, uh, I mean the shower sequences, that's like an essence of montage that ends up becoming like something you see in almost every horror movie ever made going forward. Um, but yeah, I mean, I understand why pop culture would definitely 
ruin that twist for you. Um, I was curious more of like, were you confused in the first 40 minutes that it was not about Norman Bates? Because that's what that gag is. Uh, Where it's more about Marion and the money. No, I was just like, this is a lot of setup for what I know is coming. Oh, okay. So it just, like I said, it seems like I, you know, he had this idea of, you know, this guy who runs a, a motel that, uh, kills people and his like that whole story wasn't uh and him being like split personalities with his mom that wasn't enough to write a whole movie so he just padded the whole marion part leading up to it mm. that's what it felt like to me okay like let's just stretch this out because um for the longest time i was like why is she just staring at that money over and over again because i there was no there's no setup to that she would be that kind of person that would steal that there's coding in the film and that scene where she's packing up is mainly set up to suggest only through silent film imagery that she's about to make the decision to take that money and run. This I got is, that because it took so long, but well, like the scene before that is the real estate agency. Oh, the Tom Cassidy scene? So I, I'm just totally like, yeah, she's going to take it to the bank. And on the way to the bank, she'll probably... Oh, so you're saying you would have... You There's no indication prior to that moment in the room. Yeah, she seems okay. like a straight... Uh, arrow person i think that's intentional to make us believe that she would do that and then when we're seeing this is gonna sound outdated but the black bra uh instead of her white bra that she was wearing in the first one it's to, that's to indicate to an audience oh that she certainly became like devious um which is color coding of an older era um <laughs> I say, why I mean, does black I, represent evil i still wear my black bras when i'm about to do devious <laughs> things so. again this is that it's 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 such an antiquated way of color like not just color coding wardrobe but also indicating how somebody changes but also it's the 60s and showing somebody in a bra in a major motion picture is still a sight to behold at this point so they're gonna play it showing a toilet like a thing too that is the first time in major motion picture history that a toilet was ever shown uh and able to flush yeah so uh so yeah so that, there's that for you I thanks mean, psycho thank, <laughs> how, thank you how many great movies with toilet moments every larry the cable guy movie ever made owes a debt to psycho i'm sure because i'm sure there's toilets all over those fucking weird pieces of shit dumb and dumber's got a famous toilet i know <laughs> thing. um so yeah uh psycho it's fine yeah i respect its place in cinematic history but right. i'll show you the birds and then after that i'm not showing you anymore <laughs> Um, and then the last thing I saw was the drive-in to a special presentation of an indie film called 47 Hours um, about these two girls um, who are victims of uh, an evil phone was that the trailer huh was the trailer getting there okay Um, uh, two girls who I guess were sexually assaulted Mm. um, and uh, they it wasn't. I, I missed part of it because I was in the concession stand. So the setup is I'm a little iffy on. But anyway, they met somehow, um, and they're kind of loners, mm-hmm. um, and they don't know that about each other yet. But the, uh, somewhere in their meeting, they learn about this cell phone game mm-hmm. called Forty Seven Hours, where you recite something in the phone, and then it starts a curse, and then you have to like get someone else to recite it, so it ends the curse and transfers to them. Kind of like it follows. Uh, like transferring it from yeah. one to another not not directly but you know yeah i suppose yeah. um i was really iffy on how the game actually worked mm-hmm. um 
and at first they don't believe it and other like like the game is going off the rules mm-hmm. so things that aren't supposed to happen are happening um and then uh yeah you just kind of learn about the each of these two girls backstories and then they realize that the game is real and then they try to go around figuring out how to cancel it um and one girl works at a drive-in, so that's why the drive-in theater was showing it. Um, the little incentive there. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just kind of stuff you've seen before and kind of boring. Um, and I, I was confused about how the game worked. And mm-hmm. uh, there was some weird editing because it would, it would jump around a lot. Mm-hmm. Like it would go from one location to another and like there was a patch of time, but you weren't sure why. Um, they got there and then there was an impressive finale where they have a tornado come through and destroy the drive-in. Um, so the screen gets ripped apart, but it's also masked by the fact that they're just in this car hiding and then all the CGI whirlwind is happening around them and they cut to black. And then the funniest part is when (laughs) the tornado is passed and they just like fly over of the aftermath and the one, like both girls have been ejected from the car and one's fine but the other one's like paralyzed on the ground and then her friends, I'll get help. I'll get help. And then something happens. She gets distracted. And then all of a sudden she hears this huge thud and looks back and a piece of the, uh, driving screen has like fallen on her friend and cut her in half. <laughs> like cartoonishly, just like this one piece of metal, just right. Halved uh, her. Um, not, not, not the scare you were looking for, but Oh, yeah, the movie's hilarious. not scary yeah. for sure. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it, tried, it has like some of these demonic sequences where the game is screwing with each of them. Mm. Um, they can't cancel the game because it's run by Comcast, right? Son. <laughs> Actually, so um, also while I was at the drive-in, my battery died. Mm-hmm. Like couldn't even run the radio. Yeah. Like usually it just won't start up. But um, so I couldn't hear the finale. So I'm just watching that sequence and everything. And then there's a post, like a post that scene where we are introduced to, I think, two entirely new characters, like two younger girls mm-hmm. that I think made up the game, created it. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, just, oh, so these like two tween girls started like, I don't know. It was so confusing. Mm. So good on them, though, for showing an independent horror film on, on their big screen. Yeah. Um, I didn't catch where it was made or anything, but uh, yeah, in showcasing drive-ins. So, I don't know. was uh, it a feature or was it? Yeah, full feature. Yeah. Nice. Mm. It was an hour and a half. Um, yeah, that's about it on that. Sweet. And that's all I watched this week. Nice, cool. You guys got anything else you forgot? <laughs> no, but uh, you were mentioning the drive-in earlier. Um, you know that's around town. So I'm wondering, should we see what else is going on around town this week? Let's start up that excite bike. I love that it's an excite bike. Like yeah. you had to, he had to tell me what That's excite theme, bike was. Now. Yeah, <laughs> and now I'm just like, this is awesome. <laughs> That's fantastic. I love excite bike. That's not oh. like the age gap difference between us. I'm like, what the fuck is excite bike? And he had to, <laughs> and I had to look it up. And I'm like, oh, it's a video game. Gotcha, gotcha. Oh, man, I'm so old. Yeah. Um, yeah. This week uh, around town, the Esquire Midnight is the room. Oh, hi, Brad. So. You already saw me, but you can see me again. <laughs> Seems so 
close for them to be doing it after they showed it two weeks ago, right? Oh, that's just Friday. Sorry, October eighteenth. So they've also got uh, for eighteenth and nineteenth. It's, it's the um, Nightmare Before Elm Street. Nightmare on Elm. <laughs> Ar- Ar- <laughs> a Nightmare on Elm Street. Is this Kruger Town. <laughs> yeah, thirty fifth anniversary apparently. A Nightmare on Elm Street. What have I done? <laughs> and then the drive-in, which prompted this segment, uh, is. 47 hours again i just talked about uh-huh joker uh-huh. and rambo last blood hmm. which i probably will not stay for aggressive lineup yeah right on. yeah and i think next week zombie land comes out so they'll they might be having a double feature of that Ooh, nice so the following weekend mm. which i guess would be halloween weekend i would love to see joker on a on a drive-in screen to be honest like Alamo's got 35 millimeter prints of it. Yeah, like, it was there last week of the drive-in, but again, battery died. Yeah. wasn't going to stay. Not listening, not being able to listen to it. So right, yeah, yeah. yeah. I I chose to go to an auto parts store immediately and remedy that. And you chose wrong. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they they apparently they won't change your battery at 9 p.m. <laughs> How oh, unreasonable so. of them. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's what's going on around town. Very nice. Oh, yeah, EFP uh, this week on Thursday. Emerging Filmmakers Project, Saul Frex is playing. So I won't see any of you there because you never come. Wow. That's <laughs> harsh. Mostly talking to Ryan here. Yeah. Oh, he's not here. <laughs> and James. And Henry. <laughs> Do you think they're all sitting here? <laughs> like Henry's turned his back to us. Wait, wait. Can't you guys see them? No. 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 They, Henry, Henry, oh Ryan, God. Henry, Ryan, and James died in a car crash 15 years ago. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, what, that's what's going on around town. So that brings us to movie news. Movie news. It's real news. Uh, we got a lot. It's mainly trailer news. Um, we got a trailer for Jungle Cruise uh, with Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Emily Blunt. And uh, am I the only one who wants a African Queen remake with those two? Just like straight up African Queen remake. Like it probably won't be as good as the first African Queen, but it'll be a lot of fun. Um, yeah, the, the trailer looks fun for Jungle Cruise. Um, as to how fun it'll be, I guess we'll have to wait till next year. But <laughs> um, yeah, I guess they're going to turn every ride at the park into something. I mean, yeah, if they could turn that teacup ride into a movie, like I'll totally, I'll totally go. Like I'm waiting for a Mr. Toad's wild ride movie where it's just the, the descent into hell. Cause that's what that ride is. Um, so, uh, <laughs> speaking of Joker, Joker had, uh, once had Martin Scorsese attached as a producer. And then he kind of quietly left the project to go and do the Irish. He was doing his own thing. Yeah, um, exactly. Uh, but um, it, it would seem that even though a comic book movie that came out last week that was heavily inspired by Scorsese, which uh, as to whether or not it understands Scorsese material is a whole other discussion. Uh, however, Scorsese had uh, some words to say about the comic book movie world. And uh, in an interview with Empire, uh, he basically kind of shoved Marvel movies off to the side and comic book movies in general and called them theme park rides and not cinema sparked a huge debate because uh even though we haven't heard the full interview and don't know the full context uh uh 
uh, we're still just going to make it a news item. Uh, amongst the responses was Kevin Smith saying Martin Scorsese made uh, the greatest superhero movie of all time, which was The Last Temptation of Christ, which is not is not a bad argument. <laughs> uh, it's actually a very uh, interesting argument. Uh, but uh, I guess um, as, as, of, as of late, uh, Scorsese doubled down on his criticism and was challenging movie theaters to show more uh, st- uh, m- more stories that don't have anything to do with IP or comic book characters and stuff. Movie so. theaters don't get to decide. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, and again, I, I'm, you know, this is like... Movie theaters play whatever's selling tickets, so... I maintain that, like, as much as I love Marvel movies and comic book movies, I... I understand where, where Scorsese's coming from. Like, I'm not blind to what he's what his point is, um, but I understand how taken out of context that sounds like he's just being dismissive. But right, yeah, especially the the it's not cinema comment just makes it sound like if it's not a serious drama, then it doesn't count. Right, um, and you know, and I can see where a lot of people would be put out by that because you know you see that in a lot of different art forms where someone says this isn't what I do, so it doesn't it's not the same. Uh, but I do understand to to your point and to the point he was probably getting at that we need to like maybe pump the brakes a little bit on the comic book movies and start doing other things again. Which I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, if that genre is making money, there's no way that those brakes are going to be pumped. Oh How, no. <laughs> however, like I I I understand where Scorsese is coming from, and I think it's because deep down, even though he just made a movie for Netflix, you know, he would love to have The Irishman playing in major theaters all across the country and realistically from what i've been hearing that movie probably should play as many theaters as possible because it is an epic that could sell well for them and have a have long legs but netflix can't make a deal with anybody so they're probably going to show it at some landmark theaters around here and that's it and maybe an alamo will get it runtime's an issue too on that one it's three and a half hours and uh and i've heard the last 30 minutes are very reflective and i cannot wait um and uh you know, but like I said, and again, Scorsese has a very defined idea of cinema based off of what he's been taught and what he learned growing up through the 60s, 70s, and 80s. So he's going to have that opinion. And, you know, even if it sounds dismissive, guess what? I mean, this man has done a lot for this art form in such a way that, like, I will give him a pass on saying something like that, even if I don't agree with him fully. Um, there was a, another comment from Scorsese, though. He did say, James, please like my movies. Uh, no comment yet from James Hart. Um and uh, we got another trailer. Uh, speaking of people involved in comic book movies, uh, Robert Downey Jr. was once part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, uh, he may be in the Black Widow movie. We don't know. But uh, as of now, he has uh, been retired from the MCU uh, after his uh, stunning defeat of Thanos in Endgame. Uh, but he will be returning to the big screen uh, as the trailer for Doolittle was dropped. Um, this is a movie he's been working on for two years. Uh trailer looks fine uh, i i don't really get much of anything beyond the visual element of it and it kind of looks like a lot of kids movies i've seen so uh i mean if you haven't watched the trailer for doolittle check it out like i'm hoping there's a trailer that kind of goes in the story better what i appreciate though is that it's going back to the original doolittle story where it kind of takes place in a in an era gone by and it's not a modern movie about a doctor <laughs> like like the eddie murphy one so uh uh yeah, but anyway, we got a trailer for that. Um, got a little bit of news that Russell Crowe and Kevin Williamson are going to team up for a supernatural thriller about an uh, about a horror actor who's having some real-life horrors in his life. So I just like the idea of Russell Crowe working with Kevin Williamson dialogue. I, I want to see how that plays out. I think that'll be a lot of fun. Um, and then uh, 
the last piece of news that I have is uh, we lost a legend this week. Uh, actor Robert Forster has died at the age of 78. Uh, Robert Forster uh, was a star of films like Medium Cool and uh, Reflection in a Golden Eye. And uh, he worked a lot through the 60s, 70s, and 80s in like B-movie genres and stuff like that. Like uh, Maniac Cop 3 is among his finest hours, in my opinion, in terms of just watching him and having fun with him. Avalanche. Yeah, Avalanche, that's another one, yeah. Like, it's it's weird to kind of throw a rock and you've seen him in something. Like, nobody, nobody can say, I I truly think nobody can say that they haven't seen at least one Robert Forrester performance in some form, whether it's movie or TV. Um, and, you know, he's been in films recently, like, you know, The Descendants. Um, uh, he was on Last Man Standing, apparently, which is a show I don't watch, but my parents have seen him on it. Uh, and he was in our movie this week, El Camino. Uh, but we all forget he was in the greatest movie of all time, which was Jackie Brown playing bail bondsman Max Cherry, which is a delightful character that, um, you know, when I talk about why I love Jackie Brown a lot, I think a lot of it has to do with Max Cherry because it's one of the few Quentin Tarantino characters. Actually, probably is the only Quentin Tarantino character that's ever been written that I can actually relate to in some form or fashion, um, just in terms of his loneliness and stuff. But like it's. You know, his performance in that movie, I re rewatching it last uh last night, it's it's incredible how subdued but charming it is and it's it's that man was a treasure and he will be missed. And from all accounts he was like the sweetest person in the world and no matter how many times he uh like faltered within his career in terms of just not getting like enough gigs or even like pro high profile gigs, he always kept going and kept pushing and kept moving forward and literally working up till the day he died like he has three movies that still have yet to come out so uh 78 big bucket of win uh so long max jerry you will be missed and uh that's news oh wow thought there'd be more i don't um, I, I mean unless you guys have anything i didn't really find anything else like no no i think it's old news now the only thing i could think of was that uh the casting for um uh what is it? Death on the Nile, the murder on the Orient. Express. Oh yeah. We got a huge ass cast list for that. Yeah. Russell Brand's going to be in it. So. Oh, I missed that one. Yeah. It, oh. it, he, he's in it. And then I, uh, Oh God, I can't remember who else is on that cast. All I know is that Kenneth Branagh's mustache is coming back and that, and that excites me. It's like, pretty glorious. Did you like that? The first, uh, uh, murder on the Orient Express? Not particularly. Um, I, there were things I liked about it. Cinematography was great. Um, I've never seen the original, so I don't know if that story was this, the same as the original, but I thought it was absurd that everyone on the train was involved in the in the thing. It just, to me, I was like, this is it's not working for me. Well, <laughs> um, watch, watch, watch it and see how it, 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 it is the same, but just go ahead and watch. The, the, uh, the original? Yeah, see how they portray it, because it's interesting. But, yeah. uh, I... I I didn't I wasn't like in love with the remake when it first came out, but I did a fitness cinema on it, and for some reason I was very comfortable and like had a fun time watching it over again. So like, it's a good afternoon movie, like especially if it's snowing, yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> um, it's very toasty, and for some reason it emanates toastiness. That's that's the best way I can describe it. But anyway, yeah, Brad, do you like Blu-rays? I do. Do you like 4Ks? The most. Do you like talking about them? Meh. DVD releases and Blu-rays. Uh, let me ask you, do you like Al Pacino and Scarface? That movie's okay. Okay, well, uh, if you like uh, that De Palma movie, you can pick it up in 4K for the first time. Uh, the gold edition. <laughs> sure, another variation that people can put on their dorm rooms. Right on. I totally get it. 
Um, you can also get a 4K version of American Gangster from 2007, which I think is a better movie if we're talking gangster movies released this week. Uh, Scarface is fun, but I think it's been blown out of proportion. Uh, you can also get the new, or, or no, the original Hellboy in 4K, uh, Guillermo del Toro's classic film. Uh, and then from uh, on 4K from Lionsgate, you can get Three from Hell, uh, the new Rob Zombie movie, and the final performance from Sid Haig. So uh, if you want to check out uh, Captain Spaulding's final bow, he's only in it for a scene from what I've heard, but check it out anyway and have fun with Richard Brake in his place, um, which is not a bad replacement. Uh, Criterion is putting out Haxon, uh, which is a uh, horror film. I have never seen it before, and I cannot wait to pick it up. Because uh, it's one that has been talked about um, in books and stuff. Uh, from from this year, you can get Crawl, uh, the Alexander Aja film that Sam Raimi produced. Uh, that movie is fun as hell, uh, and I cannot wait to pick it up. Um, you can get The Haunting of Hill House, uh, which was a Netflix show uh, directed by Mike Flanagan, who did Gerald, Gerald's Game. Um, and apparently that's also going to have like an alternate version of uh, like a director's cut of the episodes. So uh, that'll be interesting. From Warner Archives, you can get The Fearless Vampire Killers uh, from 1967. Um, and I believe that is, yep, that's Polanski's film with Sharon Tate. Uh, so, yeah, if you want to see the movie where they met, check that out. If you're like Ryan and don't care about Polanski, I totally understand and don't need to watch it. Uh, there's the Twin Peaks box set uh, coming to Blu-ray, which has got every fucking thing Twin Peaks has to offer in one setting. Um, I will be picking that up because I do want to revisit Twin Peaks um, and I don't necessarily want to stream it. Uh, You can get uh, the Ultraman complete series. Um, It looks like this is the original one from 66 to 67. um, And uh, there's two different covers for it. Uh, From Arrow, you can get Killer Nun, uh, which shows a nun looking sinister and then another person with their mouth taped shut. So, um, okay. I wonder what those nuns are doing to each other. Um, Scream Factory is putting out the Omen Deluxe Edition where you can get every film in the Omen series, including the remake from 2006, all in beautiful restorations. Uh, I would definitely pick that up if you're a a horror fan because Scream Factory treats their shit correctly. Uh, And then uh, lastly, in 4K, you can get Stuber, uh, which I did not see. Um, I think you're the only one who did, Brad. Am I correct? Yeah. The only um, one in the entire country oh, <laughs> showed up for that movie. It's a fun diversion. Yeah. Uh, oh, and uh, also, uh, if you like John Luke Picard, there's a Blu-ray collection where it's Picard movie and TV collection. Uh, just seems like it's another standalone thing. Uh, it uh, it apparently has uh, the best of both worlds, uh, uh, the chain of command. And uh, it's got all four of his uh, movies, uh, theatrical releases. So um, interesting collection. Uh, The cover is just Jean-Luc Picard and his uh, awesome visage, Um, which I guess it's good if you want to get ready for uh, Picard, the television series, featuring um, older Brad Spiner as um, Data. But Brad has theories that this is all in a dream in his head. So uh, I feel feel like the trailer seems pretty certain. I'm hoping it's wrong. <laughs> uh, all I know it makes is sense. He blew up in um, Nemesis. So. But but didn't he? But he moved into B four. That's that's the indication when he whistles that thing. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if they'll follow through on it. I don't know if they're going to ignore Nemesis. Like, 
Uh, all I know is I saw a silver fox named William Riker come back in that trailer, and that's what's got me excited and pumped. Uh, and Risa and I talked about it. If he does not have a trombone solo in this show, uh, we will all uh, be worse for it. So, wow, that's that's pretty um, strict. Yeah, strict uh, requirements of you. You know what? They put it enough on that show that I am hooked, and I want it. The so. show looks like a feature film. It's crazy. I know. It's pretty amazing that trick it, it, it's you can disregard all that over a trombone solo you could you could make it with so fickle you could make it with the 60 sets and i wouldn't care just give me the trombone <laughs> why do you want a bone so bad hey don't pick a bone with me on this one bones i'm not weighing in on this conversation yeah that's fine <laughs> is that it for releases? That's, that, that's blu-rays wow we're already towards the end of the end of the discussion. Well, guys, it's been wonderful chatting with this you. This is a breakneck pace. I screwed it all up by jumping right into what we've been watching. <laughs> no, dude, are you kidding? We we might be wrapped up pretty quickly with enough no. time to eat dinner. <laughs> I think I'm getting sick too, so my energy's just like dying left and right. Yeah, um, but we can pad it a bit. What have you been up to beyond movies, Aaron? <laughs> uh, I have. Well, it's not beyond movies, but related to movies. Uh, my next feature doc starts shooting on Wednesday. Yeah. So, which this will be after that. So, anyway, the 16th of October is when we start <laughs> shooting our next doc. Um, it's uh, about a recording studio in Fort Collins, Colorado. And it's kind of a, um, the way I would describe it to people is it's the punk rock version of Sound City. Mm, so, yeah. Very DIY, very, um, you know, not Paul McCartney showing up in my basement to track a record. But,. That'd be amazing if he did, though. It would be, yeah. <laughs> if you're listening, Paul McCartney, I'll send you my address. I don't have a recording studio in my basement. I also don't have a basement. Hey, Ringo, did you hear this podcast? But you are down to hang out. <laughs> we are down to hang out. Oh, is, he, is he a vegetarian? If so, we can have some dinner. <laughs> cool. So, um, oh, yeah, sorry. So that's, yeah, that's really our, our big thing is getting that going and then... Um, uh, yeah, I think I felt like there was something else, but that's the big news for me. Wednesday. Good luck with that. Thank you. Yeah. Zach, what have you been doing? Uh, I was gone last week because I had a bunch of pre-production work to do on uh, a pitch trailer that I'm working on for a horror film uh, that I shoot uh, at the end of October in New Hampshire. And uh, I was also helping out a friend, uh, two friends of mine, uh, Brian Richards and Jace Paradin. They were putting together a project and I helped them get some organization done and uh, helped them out with some costumes and props and makeup. So, uh, yeah, I've been uh, busy, busy, busy with a little bee and just editing Shamley stuff before I head out to New Hampshire. So, um, which, by the way, the next episode, uh, if you're listening at this point, uh, the recent episode is Corinne uh, did The Lady Vanishes. Uh, so you'll be able to check that out. Uh, the next episode that'll be coming out when I'm out of town will be Jack Hanley came in and talked about four Hitchcock films that directly tie into each other thematically uh, in terms of his uh, approach to the serial killer kind of genre. Uh, so we talk about The Lodger, we talk about Rope, we talk about Psycho a little bit more, and then we talk about Frenzy, which is a film that doesn't get discussed often enough. Um but yeah, and then I've just been writing my own stuff. But that's for me to work with until I feel like revealing it. <laughs> and then you guessed it on another podcast for us. I did. I was on the History's What If show. Uh, you can check that out. Um, we talked about uh, actors. If they had 
not turned down or not lost out on certain roles. So like the big example was if Eric Stoltz had played Marty McFly all the way through and like that was it. And did you just come up with some um, uh, what if scenarios based on that? I did Eric Stoltz for Back to the Future and I also did Jeremy Irons for Hannibal. So uh, the you should listen to the episode, but my, my prediction for if Jeremy Irons had played Hannibal uh, was very lucrative for Brian Fuller, uh, based on how I wrote it out. <laughs> because basically his his wonderful show would have been able to go on as long as it friggin' needed to. Was he supposed to play Hannibal in Silence of the Lambs or Hannibal? Silence of the Lambs. Okay, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, he turned it down, um, and then Hopkins uh, was pursued and uh, movie history was made. Uh, but since then, you can't you can't touch that role. You can't no Mads Mickelson has been able to do it, but like in terms of like, it's just Tony Hopkins is eternally attached to that role. So it's what he will be remembered for in the obits. Um, uh, well that and Odin, I guess from the Marvel movies, but, um, but yeah, and, uh, that's pretty much it. Oh, that. And I've been thinking of what would Paul McCartney say if he was listening to this podcast. And I think a lot of it is like, I don't like Brad's review of 47 hours. I like that movie. It was a fun movie. If I heard to believe that he's watched it. <laughs> you know what? I, I loved, I loved, I loved Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles three. I thought it was the fun turtle movie. I, the first one's too boring, but the third one had time traveling ninjas. <laughs> You sound like Stewie trying to do Paul yeah. McCartney. <laughs> I'm not saying it was great. I'm just I'm just thinking of what he's saying. Like I I have not been I have not claimed to be a great Beatle impersonator. I'm just I am thinking though about Simpsons episode where Ringo Starr writes up Marge a letter back. He's like, "Thanks, thank you for the lovely drawing. I hung it on me wall." <laughs> How about you, Brad? What have you been up to? Yeah, what have you been up to, Brad? Uh, I actually just committed to screening Jean-Claude Van Damme's Dan Van for the fifth anniversary at the Bug Theater, November 10th. Hell yeah, Sunday, November to 10th. To the day that we screened it, huh? Sunday, Sunday November 10th, right? Yep. Ooh, yes. Uh, Bug Theater, 7 p.m. Um, we're going to screen the movie and then some of the bonus features that are going to end up on the Blu-ray. You should do a Q an anniversary Q&A where you have to reassemble all the people <laughs> on stage. Uh, that's too difficult. Um, is it? Yeah. Is it? It is. No, it's not. I, I, there's some people who just won't be able to be there oh, already. I know. Okay. Um, you know, it won't be as elaborate as the premiere, but it'll be a nice, you know, the, when it premiered, the bug didn't have its 5.1 surround sound system and mm. it had the smaller screen. So this is a chance to kind of present it correctly. And the film wasn't finished. That's right. <laughs> because it was still an unfinished one. You were telling me that yeah. we were going to show the movie anyway. So. The finished one screened at the Alamo. So now this one will be all the bells and whistles right on so, perfect i expected so, bells and whistles at this show but i am trying to get the blu-ray done for that show so that's what i'm going to be doing for like the next three weeks really hard is making that music video and the blu-ray Ooh, all right and well. printing new shirts and i've made a huge mistake <laughs> <laughs> trying to get all this done with my on top of my job i just want to get um uh, Mayor Knob telling my uh, my nephew happy birthday um, in the Why most. Why would you want that? Because I because I think it would be hilarious. He wouldn't say happy birthday at all. I know he wouldn't. That's the point. Fuck himself. <laughs> like, get out of my face, kid! You bother me. <laughs> be like, oh my god, this is hilarious. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but good. Congratulations, Brad. Thanks. Yeah, that's awesome. And you are also um, 
like I said, you're showing Sulfur X uh, at the EFP. Yes. Uh, did you also have a screening of t- Catastrophe coming up, or is that already... Yeah, that's uh, the Three Nights of Horror at the uh, IFSOC. Uh, it's like a Independent Film Society of Colorado showcase. Okay. So it's really more about um, screening, actually, like Deep Red, I think, is their big get this year. Okay. So it's just Three Nights of Horror films, um, more mainstream, well-known stuff. Um, and then some of the local indie stuff is sprinkled in in between... So catastrophes in there somewhere. I don't know what day of the three it is yet, but okay, yeah. And we'll go to that festival all three days, and you may see catastrophe. Yeah, or, or watch it online, or, or not. Maybe they'll forget. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's what's going on with me. Right on. So I guess finally we've been beating around a bush, bitch. We need to talk about a movie, bitch. And this is his Jesse uh, Pinkman bitch. Apparently. <laughs> Add bitch to whatever you're saying. Oh, you don't want to hear the other one. Skylar! Jesse! Oh, my God. <laughs> Start picking movies you can't do impressions of. Skylar! <laughs> uh, do you have a, a Jane Silent Bob impression you're going to unload on us next week? No. <laughs> I'd, I'd love to hear your Silent Bob impression. <laughs> you failed it already. Yeah, I got nothing. <laughs> I, already I, hey, I got nothing. <laughs> Uh, so this week, uh, we watched El Camino. Mm-hmm. Aaron, should people watch El Camino, the Breaking Bad movie? No, maybe. Yes, it's complicated. Interesting. Zach? It's complicated is my favorite uh, uh, Alec Baldwin movie, by the way. No, it's not. Um, should people watch uh, El Camino? Um, yeah, uh, but there's baggage with that. And we could talk about it in spoilers because this movie is nothing but spoilers. Um I will say that I was impressed that I, having not rewatched Breaking Bad in a while, that I was able to get back into it pretty well. But I also observed that, like, if somebody was going in blank, I think they would understand the basics of it. But the emotional core uh, of that film is tied so heavily into the series, uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about it in spoilers. So, Brad, should people watch El Camino, a Breaking Bad story saga? Uh yeah, absolutely. Um hard heavy recommend. Mm-hmm. Um you know, in comparison to say Deadwood, uh I think they did a great job of telling its own story mm-hmm. while also cuz I haven't watched the series in a long time either. Mm-hmm. Um so it was just enough to help me remember what I had forgotten. Right. Um and it's also amazingly able to condense kind of the arc of Walter White um across five seasons into you know an hour and a half just for jesse because he's obviously um and it gotten i guess harder uh, uh yeah <laughs> um he's not he's uh he's more dangerous in this movie he's more dangerous and he's much more broken and, yeah he's uh, broken we, and i and i loved how meticulous um they were about um going through the story like showing uh, very small details. Um, it, it was great. So uh, here's the trailer for El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie. I get high, 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 
I'm glad that you agree with me on on the whole on, on it able to operate on its own like in its own way like it it is its own story. Um, I think that there are certain moments that are so specifically connected to the show. Um, Kristen Ritter, Kristen Ritter's appearance uh, not uh, being one of them because of, uh, other than that moment, she is not talked about at all whatsoever. Um, but like, but in terms of other characters, like. Um, uh, the candy welder um, owner who uh, is uh, who he interacts with throughout the movie and Ed uh, Robert Forrester's character and uh, uh, even uh, even skinny and badger like I mean th- those things are you're able to enter into that way better if you even haven't seen that show um, but I think there is an emotional core and there are emotional payoffs with those characters that require you to know what breaking bad has been for five seasons yeah i think i think it resonates with me because i did watch jesse suffer in that final season yeah <laughs> um and you get a little bad of that in this but yeah if, if you are unfamiliar with the series you, you will probably be left in the cold yeah and, and that's kind of my like approach for the yes no like uncertain answer is if you haven't watched it i don't if you haven't watched breaking bad i don't think you should watch the movie because it you're not going to know what's really going on with the characters. It really is for the audience. But that being said, if you were satisfied with the conclusion of the show, you don't like for me, if you hadn't asked me to come on, I would never have watched El Camino because I I was like, I was totally satisfied with how Breaking Bad ended. I don't Mm -hmm. need any more of that story in that world. So I had no intention of watching it. Um, Having said that, though, do you like appreciate how they were able to wrap up Jesse or are you kind of just mad on it? I I honestly think it made it I made it made his conclusion worse than the show did, Mm. because in the show, I thought, okay, he got out like he's been off the radar for so long. He's been forgotten about. Mm. And then and then in the movie now, based on the police response to the lowjacked car, which I still don't know why was lowjacked other than (laughs) that. Maybe they were on to those guys like before all this happened. It's Um, possible. Uh, the 
the, based on that police response, he would be the most wanted person in America. So him going to Alaska to hide out, it's very unlikely that that would last very long before <laughs> someone would recognize him and he'd get arrested. So going from the end of the show where it's like, oh, he got away and he's going to have a good life now and he's out of the game. And now I'm like, well, shit, now he's just going to probably get caught in a few months. <laughs> I actually think this is a better pilot for a new show where the show is that like, how is this fugitive um, going to survive in Alaska? Which it wouldn't surprise me if we were to hear an announcement months from now that that's what might be happening. Yeah. But it totally mean, could have been like a huge test marketing ploy to see how a new series would work. Right. I mean, if, I have to disagree with Aaron on it mainly because what I think this film is very effective at is addressing Jesse's experience in that final season in a strictly thematic way and less plot driven because I'd have to rewatch all of Breaking Bad to see if I'm still correct about this. But I remember at a certain point that while Jesse has he goes through all that suffering and whatnot, but the the primary focus was Walter because we're wrapping that we're wrapping this huge story up where he has been our primary focus for five seasons. And I felt like Jesse was a, an afterthought in some respects in the final season. Uh, not torture the torture he was going through at the hands of Todd and Jack was standing, but um, and that might be just my perception. So, but with this film. I appreciated them able to focus a little bit on just how it affect how how it affects somebody like that, even if you were able to walk away. Because his final moments with Walter at the end of Breaking Bad are very much about pointing out why Walter needs to die. It has very little to do with Jesse's character, other than him learning to tell Walter to go fuck himself, uh, which is something that should have happened seasons ago. Um, but uh, uh. And also, uh, it bothered me at first that they were doing flashbacks that weren't part of the show initially with the same actors who have clearly gotten older and changed physically, but I got past it pretty quick because Jesse Plemons in this movie is scary as shit. Like, he's scarier than he ever was on the show, in my opinion. Like, that whole scene with the cleaning lady is fucking unnerving, and their funeral for her in the desert. <laughs> um and uh, and Badger and Skinny were fun. I like Skinny's moment where he gives him his beanie. Yeah, those that was really nice. Like bringing those two back and their whole interaction was was a good moment. Yeah, and they blew all their money on like Star Trek captains' chairs, like authentic. <laughs> yeah, like you can see in the bookshelf behind him. There's like an Enterprise model, and then the VHS versions of uh, the Next Generation TV show boxes. Yeah. <laughs> like that's such a geeky yeah. uh, Easter egg. Um, um, but yeah, and. Uh, the late great Robert Forster's wonderful reprising his role as Ed. Uh, and that scene in the vacuum shop is great. Like it reminds me of, of moments in the show that I like, but also did remind me of how much I like Robert Forster as an actor. Cause like that moment where you just say, can I borrow your bag? He's just like, I'm, I'm gathering your belongings. <laughs> um, yeah, and then Jesse telling him, like, I don't believe you made that call. And then, yeah. <laughs> well, the response time is great. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and, and um, the standoff at the welding uh, plant. Yeah, the uh, shootout. Yeah, that was. That was great. That was wonderful. Because I was sitting there going, like, where'd the other gun go? <laughs> yeah, that that was one of the things I took issue with, honestly, that shootout. Um, largely because the somehow in his offhand and in his pocket, he's able to shoot the other guy like four times. But then with his 
dominant hand shooting directly at the other guy and aiming. He can't hit him. <laughs> I was just like, what the hell? <laughs> like, the other guy missing him a bunch, I get it. He just did a bunch of coke. Like, obviously, his aim's a little off. But Jesse not being able to hit the guy forever was a little ridiculous. Well, they were moving around, right? I mean, they oh, were... Oh, yeah, it's the second guy. That's yeah. right. Yeah, it's the second guy. But yeah. even so, I just... It seemed a little, like silly and and the fact that neither one of them could hit the other one for so long in such a small space i was yeah. like come on but you know what's great when that first guy that he kills uh is leaned up against the door and then he kicks the door open and he just falls backward mm-hmm. and then he tells the others to get the fuck out he's like what? give me your ids i know all your names <laughs> like that was great i mean yeah. that's the thing there were there were aspects like within that scene that were great yeah but then like it was derailed a little bit by other things where i was like really i just yeah, yeah it Again, I, I don't not like it, but I'm very much on the, like, it was okay right. fence. Yeah. I mean, like, at the end of the day, if I had to, like, be blunt about it, like, the movie's not necessary. <laughs> However, for me, I enjoyed it a lot. Um, and uh, and I liked the scene between um, him and Cranston. Um, it's, a nice, it's a nice reminder of why you were watching those two all those years and... Um, the Kristen Ritter scene, I think, was the weakest, and it's only because it's just kind of like it almost feels like it's it, it's thematically setting up something for that whole experience, but I feel like it's a little underserved. Yeah. Um, and also, uh, like again, uh, regarding your needing to watch the series, probably is the letter at the end. Um, you know, I was like, "Who's Brock?" <laughs> yeah, I totally forgot who Brock was. Yeah, and then you were, yeah, yeah, and I looked it up after I saw the movie, and it's like, "Oh yeah." Mm, uh, so. But yeah, no. Uh, it's a, and actually, and actually, I haven't. I have not been watching Better Call Saul, so um, it, I keep forgetting that there's more Breaking Bad technically that you can watch. So yeah, right, wish Netflix would get the fourth season already. They'll get it until they won't. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I assume like also. I mean, you guys both mentioned it too. I haven't seen this series in a really long time, mm-hmm. so I feel like if I sat down and rewatched it and then watched that, I might be a little more on board with things or feel like, cause it, to me, it, it felt like something I really appreciated about the movie was it felt like a TV show. Like a lot of times when they do like a movie sequel to a TV show, it feels like a movie and it feels different and wrong for that reason. Right. And this really did feel like just an extended episode of breaking bad yeah. where I, I could see it fitting within the timeline and the context of that show. Right. Not yeah. having, it didn't like transcend that. You could watch it right after the last episode and feel like, you're just continuing the actual last band, episode, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it just would just be like a one long episode as opposed to a I, regular one. I will say that visually, there's a li- it feels like there's a little more scope in the camera work on this one than an episode of the show. Like there's a wa- there there are way more wide angles than I remember that show having, um, and or I should say holding on those wide angles, like because generally on the show you'd still do your general J and L back and forth. But that scene where they're inside Clemens is uh, in Todd's apartment and they're um, like just standing there in the entryway and whatnot. They're holding there for a good long while. Um, so clearly Vi- Vince Gilligan knows how to direct a movie versus just another episode of the show. Um, but uh, but I understand within that respect, too, because like also it did feel like this belongs in the Breaking Bad universe visually, tonally, stylistically. Uh, him searching Todd's apartment uh, with that uh, that gr- overhead grid <laughs> uh, was very much in keeping with the show. So, uh, but yeah, no, I, I had fun with it. I almost kind of appreciated watching it, having not watched Breaking Bad for a while, because it reminded me how much I like Breaking Bad. 
but also it gave me enough separation to kind of like I was eased into it pretty well, but yeah. Cool. Brad. So next week, I think we're seeing Jane Silent Bob reboot. Ooh, ladies, 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 Jane Silent Bob are in the his house. Um, so that, that's a very limited release. Uh, if As not in only two days. <laughs> yeah. Um, if not, I think Jojo rabbit actually comes out on the 24th. We've got options is, uh, so that'd be next, next week. Never mind. Yeah. I mean, um, no, no, Zombieland actually comes out next week. Oh, Zombieland Double Tap? Yeah, yeah. Double Tap. Yeah, we could always so. do that. We we have options. We do. Speaking of long lulls between sequels. Yeah. Oh, oh 10 yeah. years, actually. Yeah. So. Dance on Bob Reboot? Or? <laughs> no. Oh, uh, Zombieland Double Tap. Well, I guess technically there's been a gap for uh, Ray and Silly Bill. So. Yeah, 2006 was the last time they were on screen. Clerks. Yeah, Clerks 2. Uh, if you don't count uh, Groovy Movie. Which, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> um, That's so yeah, fine. <laughs> Thirteen years. Um, but yeah, what was I going to say? Shit, totally distracted me. I mean, I guess we didn't talk about that. Kevin Smith is going to make Clerks three after all. <laughs> oh yeah, that, that, that's some news. Yeah. Um, this shows like all out Dante of order. Randall reboot because they're going to make clerks within clerks. I just want a live action version of the I'm the biggest idiot ever gag. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all I remember was going to say uh my fa- I think my favorite part of the Zombieland marketing is that, you know, they're all Oscar nominated people and in fact Emma Stone's won one. Yeah. Um in this zombie movie, so. Yeah. That is fun, yeah. 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 They're really they're pushing that angle and I appreciate it. Yeah. Lots <laughs> well, happened to those people in 10 years. Oh yeah. Right. Not us though. No, no, I am, I am not an I'll academy. Same thing. I am not an Academy Award nominee, despite my many claims in public while yelling and tearing my shirt off. You know. Yeah. So, Aaron, thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks for having me again. Yeah. Yeah. Good luck on your shoot. Yep. Zach, we'll see you next week. Brad, I guess. Bye. Bye, guys. <laughs>